good morning. I love Baptism Sundays. Well, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Here are some things that I'm thankful for. First on the list, especially as we think about this past year in particular, I am thankful for Valley Bible Church. Uh, it's our, just been our joy to be here. Uh, we've felt just your love and your care in so many ways, both me and my wife and our whole family. Uh, and so we are super thankful uh, for all of you. Uh, and so we just give praise to God for all of you, and we're thankful for you. I'm also thankful to the elders uh, and the deacons and just their heart for Christ and their heart to serve and their desire to shepherd this church so that it becomes everything that Christ would want it to be. I'm thankful for the staff. I'm thankful for so many of you that are serving in all kinds of different ministries. I met a brother today who said he's been here for 10 years, but he just started serving recently, and so I rejoice uh, with him that God is still raising up servants. Uh, We've also seen the youth serving a lot. I've noticed a few just kind of doing usher and greeting, and so that's been a joy to see, and I know that they help out a lot with setting up for different events, and so we just praise God for his goodness to us this past year. You know, the holidays, they are a unique time to sort of consider his mission. Are we about what he's about? Uh, But before we dive into a passage, I just want to let you know that you can blame Susie Fernandez for this message. She asked me to teach her ladies' class on the Trinity, And I'm not sure which was more intimidating, a class full of ladies uh, studying Bible doctrine or the topic of the Trinity, Uh, but it was really a a joy for me to do that. But when I first got the assignment, I sort of thought, like, the Trinity? Like, is this really relevant? You know, I mean, I think about the church, it's like people's marriages might be struggling, you know, that people could have trouble with their kids right now. Bobby mentioned there's many going through painful trials, Is studying the Trinity really going to help any of those practical needs that God's people have? Or is this just kind of a mere academic exercise? Because that's kind of how I felt about it when I first thought about this assignment. I thought about it could go through all the verses that prove the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but how there's one God. Or I thought about the different illustrations you could use, how you know, the Trinity is kind of like an egg, right? It's got a yolk and a white part and a shell, but then God's not very much like an egg, so I'm not sure that that's a great illustration. But then I ran across this book um, called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, and really, it, it really convicted me. Um, Because he presents that the Trinity, it's not just an academic exercise. It's not primarily about defending a doctrine. It's about looking at the very God whom we love and the very God who saved us. And that's never an academic exercise. That is a worship exercise. And it has application to every single area of our life. In his book, Michael Reeves says this, He says the irony could not be thicker. What we assume would be a dull or peculiar irrelevance turns out to be the source of all that is good in Christianity. Neither a problem nor a technicality, the triune being of God is the vital oxygen of Christian life and joy. He goes on to say, What is your Christian life like? What is the shape of your gospel, your faith? In the end, it will all depend on what you think God is like. Who God is drives everything. So what is the human problem? Is it merely that we have strayed from a moral code? 
Or is it something worse, that we have strayed from him? What is salvation? Is it merely that we are brought back as law-abiding citizens? Or is it something better, that we are brought back as beloved children? What is the Christian life all about? Mere behavior or something deeper, enjoying God? And then there's what our churches are like, our marriages, our relationships, our mission, all are molded in the deepest way by what we think about God. And so this is not an academic exercise. This actually has ramifications for all of life, all of our Christian life. Turn to John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. John 20. 21 to 22. I want to use this as a framework uh, to talk about the Trinity, but more than that, I want these verses to stir us to remember the mission of God sending his son to save us and to excite us to pour out our lives for that very same mission of serving and saving others. John 20, 21 to 22. This is after Christ has been raised from the dead. He sees that he appears to his disciples. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. It's in your word that we get to meet you. It's through your word that we come to know what you are and who you are, what you're like. It was through the preaching of your word that we were saved. Someone came and told us that there was a God who loved us, but that we had rebelled against him, and that he sent his son to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven. And it was your spirit that changed our hearts so that we actually believed that when we heard it. And we went from death to life. We are dependent on you being the triune God that you are. A loving father, a sacrificial son, and a life-giving spirit. And Lord, we don't want to be people that just we enjoy that truth for ourselves. We want to be people that model the very love that you've shown us. And that we take your love to the ends of the earth, just as Christ went to the cross to save sinners, that we go proclaiming his work in the hopes that more sinners might be saved. Lord, we have a special opportunity to do that right now with the holidays. We'll be seeing friends, we'll be seeing family, maybe people that we haven't seen in years. And you may give us the opportunity to preach the gospel to them and see them be saved. So Lord, motivate us. Motivate us for your mission in the world. Lord, it's why you saved us, so that we could be adopted back into your family and so that we could be about the family business of bringing alienated sinners back home as beloved children. So stir us again with those truths, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as the Father sent me, this is motivation for the mission. First, let's look at the planner of the mission, the loving Father. It says, as the Father sent me. Let's turn back a couple chapters to John 17 to consider the love of the Father when Christ is praying his prayer on his way to the cross. And I want to focus in on verse 24. 
Christ says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible for many reasons. The primary reason is this is the verse that I want read at my memorial. Because when I consider the first part of this verse, whenever a believer dies, it's an answer to Christ's prayer. He says, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. That's what Christ wants. But before we get there, let's consider the basis of this request at the end of verse 24. It says this, that they, he wants them to be with him to see his glory because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is one of the few verses that we have that actually tells us what was God doing before there even was a creation. Before anything existed, before you and I came to be, what was God doing for all eternity before creation? This verse tells us. What was he doing? The Father was loving his Son for all eternity. Now imagine kind of this podium represents all of creation, right? Let's think about before creation, you know, take a line starting here, kind of bust through that wall over there and have it just continue on forever into eternity past. And what was God doing? The Father was loving his Son for all eternity. He wasn't bored, and that didn't get old to God. He was a loving father who loved to pour out his love on his son. That's why John can say in 1 John that God is love. He didn't become love when he created everything. He has always been love. He's always been a father pouring out his love on to his son. That's who God is. That's what he's been doing for all eternity. A father has been loving the son. That's actually the essence of what it means for God to be a father, that he pours out love onto his son. It's his delight. Now, the first half of this verse talks about what we'll be doing for the rest of eternity headed in that direction, right? And what's going to happen? It says, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Amen. So now imagine a line going from here, out that wall, and heading off into eternity in the future. And what is God going to be doing? The Father is going to be loving his Son and us for all eternity. That's the glory of Christ. When he says, I want them to be with me to see my glory, what does he mean? He means he wants us to experience the love that the Father has for him. That's what makes him glorious. He's the beloved of the Father. Think about Christ's baptism, right? Christ is baptized, and what happens? The Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well 
please. That's what God's been doing for all eternity in the past, and that's what God will be doing for all eternity in the future, pouring out his love on his son. The amazing thing is we get to be included in that in eternity for the rest of eternity. We get to be the object of his love in the same way that the son is the object of his love. Don't believe me? Look one verse earlier. That's exactly what Christ says. Look at verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. In Christ, the Father loves you the same way that he loves his Son. With the same love. And we'll get to enjoy it for eternity. God will be pouring out his love on his Son and us for all eternity. So all eternity past, the Father's been pouring out love on his Son All eternity future, the Father will be pouring out love on his Son and us. And so how do we understand this little piece called creation? Again, not just my life or your life, but just creation in general. Where did it come from? It was born out of love. God did not create in order to love, because he's been doing that for all eternity. So why did he create? He created to share his love. He so loves his son that he wants more children to be able to enjoy the love that he has for his son. That's why he created. He didn't create in order to love. He created from the overflow of his love to share his love with more and more people. That's why he created. And I think sometimes we think that he created so that he could rule over something or that he could be an authority so that he could smack people around when they don't listen to his rules. That's not why he created. He created out of love. Now, the tragedy is that sin entered the picture. What is sin? At the base of it, it's a rejection of his love. Right? God's love, outgoing, life-giving, overflowing. What is sin? Sin is, I'm stepping outside of that. I don't want that. Sin is inward, self-seeking, doesn't give life, causes harm. And so the wrath of God reacts against the sin of the world. In some ways, you could think about this. Wrath is how love responds to evil. He desires all to experience life and love. And sin is evil because it prevents people from experiencing the life and love that he wants everyone to experience. You know, some people say, well, God is loving, but yeah, but he's also wrathful. But it's not the same, not in the same way. He delights to show love. He does not delight to punish. We heard that, right? God is patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He never delights to punish. You'll never find a verse that says God is wrath. But you will find a verse that says God is love. He delights to show love. Isaiah 28, 21, you don't have to turn there, but it talks about that God has to judge his people for their sin. 
Isaiah 28, 21 says that God considers this his strange work, his alien work. It's not something that naturally sort of flows out of his nature the way that love does. It's a response to evil. You could say, one commentator said it this way, God is wrathful because of our sin. He loves because of who he is. Why does God hate sin? Because of what it does to his beloved, both his son and his children. Sin is failing to love what God loves, and it's failing to love whom God loves. And because sin is destructive to those that God loves, sin will be punished. In hell, an eternal punishment is just for two reasons. One, it, because it is the only way to, to, to make right an infinite evil is to have an infinite punishment. But hell is also just because it's exactly what people that go there want. They don't want his love. They don't want anything to do with his love. And God's giving them exactly what they want. Eternity separated from the love of God. But the amazing thing is, even though we all would be there, God sent his son so that we could be restored as beloved children. The love of the Father came to rescue undeserving sinners. That's what love does. Love sees a problem and it responds. Love doesn't see something and then just sort of wash their hands and walk away. No, it provides a way for there to be forgiveness. And when you think about this, at what cost did the Father forgive undeserving sinners? The cost of his only beloved Son. The Son who he's been loving for eternity. He was willing to send And the son was willing to go to bring back lost sinners as children. I mean, think about how devastating it can be for us to lose a beloved pet, right? A dog or a cat or something that's been been with us for 10 to 15 years and how devastating that can feel. Or think about how devastating it can be when you lose a beloved family member of 50 or 60 years. And now consider that the father crushed the son who he's been loving for eternity to ransom you back to the family of God. I mean, what a savior we have. What a loving father we have that he would send his son, that he would sacrifice his son so that we might be forgiven. He is a loving father Now, sometimes we might think things like, well, well, God's loving, but yeah, he's also holy, as though somehow holiness and love are in opposition to each other. But no, holiness means that he's distinct. He's separate. He's not like us. In what way is he separate, distinct, and not like us? He loves, right? Love is not in competition with his holiness. Love is the way he is holy. He loves, Think about this, right? God says, be holy for I am holy, right? That's sort of a summary command. This is what your life should be like. You need to be holy for I am holy. What does he say is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Christ says all of the law and prophets hang on those two commands. 
be holy for I am holy equals love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love and holiness are very closely related to each other. Some might say also, well, God does all things for his glory. So is he really doing all things for his love or for his glory? Again, those aren't two separate things. His glory is his love, right? Glory, that's something that shines out of God. It's not something that God needs, right? He doesn't need glory. He radiates glory. What does he radiate? He radiates love. He's outgoing, overflowing, wants to provide life and love to every person that exists. So what do you think about when you think about the Father? Is this how you see him? I think many of us see the Father as this sort of strict judge. And he has given us his rules, and he is just waiting. Waiting for us to break a rule so that he can punish us. But that's not who the Father is. He does not delight to punish. He delights to give love, even at the cost of his own dear son. Reeves, in his book, says, This is the outgoing Father, the original fountain of all life and love, and he is the head of an outgoing family. His life and being is one of going out with his love. And that is the life of his children and what they're brought to share. Amen. I mean, think of God. He is the summertime sprinkler, right? I think now most of us have like the little pop-up sprinklers in our yard and they water. But when I was a kid, we didn't have those things. So what did we have? We had the sprinklers. There was the kind that kind of went like this, right? Which inspired a dance move. But then there was also, you know, the kind of sprinkler that went all the way across the yard, right? That huge wave that just goes all the way back and forth across the yard. That's what the Father is like. He is just constantly pouring out life and love to all those that would come and just to play in that sprinkler. And when kids play in that sprinkler, it's like they are full of joy, overflowing with joy. That's our Father. Spraying out life and love for the enjoyment of all the children that will come to come to him. Now think about how do we apply this? How do we find motivation for the mission in this? You know, some of us might say, well, it's like, well, I'm not really that an emotional of a person. I don't really show love very much. Well, your God shows love. That's who he is. He overflows with love. So think about some of the implications for this. Think about maybe if you're a husband. You know, I find it interesting that, you know, many of the times when there's verses about a wife, it talks about wives submitting to your husband. But when it goes to the husband, the command you might think would be rule over or, you know, show authority or something like that. And yet what's the command to husbands? Love your wives. Be a picture of your father who pours out life and love. Husbands, would your wife characterize you as somebody that's pouring out life and love into her life, into your home? If you're a parent, Ephesians 6.4, right? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The bring up, this idea of nourish, right? Cause to grow. As a parent, you pour out life and love into your children so that they might grow. How about a brother or sister in the body of Christ? We're told to 
love one another, to imitate our Father, to pour out love to those around us. Elders, deacons, leaders, shepherds, your ministry is not about accomplishing tasks. Your ministry is about pouring out life and love to the body of Christ. And so because of the love of the Father, join him on his mission of pouring out love to the world that desperately needs it. He's the planner of the mission. Secondly, let's consider the pattern of the mission, the joyful son, as the Father sent me. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. If the Father is the planner of the mission who delights to pour out life and love onto His Son, His Son is the Beloved who receives love from the Father and delights to then pour it out on others as well. Hebrews 12, verse 2, says this about the Son. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Son is the joyful Son who delights to do the work of his Father. I mean, you see Jesus saying things throughout the Gospels like this, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. John chapter 4. Or John chapter 5, I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He loves his father. He only wants to do what he sees his father doing. And what does he see his father doing? Pouring out life, pouring out love. Jesus says, I want to be just like my father. He wants to do nothing more than to imitate his father. When he says, I only do the things I see my father doing, that's not a verse that's talking about how Jesus is somehow limited in some way. No, that's a verse saying, it's like my delight is to only do what I see my father doing. When it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, that joy is I get to please the father who loves me. And Jesus is our pattern. That's how we're supposed to live, right? The Son is the eternal receiver of the Father's love, and He enjoys pouring out that love onto others. It's as though when the Father was thinking through the plan of salvation, He was wondering, who should I get to go and pour out my love for others, even at the cost of my own life? It's like the Son just was like, me! (laughs) Pick me! I've been the receiver of your love for all eternity, and it would be my delight to go out and to shower the world with your love. Pick me. And he's our pattern. What did the Father send the Son to do? Go back to John 17. John 17, the Father sent the Son to do at least these three things. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Why? So that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to do what? To give eternal life to all 
who you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the Father sent the Son to give life. Look at verse 8. He says, I have given them your words. He says the same thing in verse 14. I have given them your word. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So he came to give life. He also came to give light, right? The light of the truth of who God is and what's true about everything else. And then, of course, verse 26, the end of this prayer. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known. Why? So that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. He came to give life. He came to give light. He came to give love. That's what the Son came to do. In other words, he came to imitate his Father, the one who's been pouring out these things for all eternity, light and life and love. And Jesus comes to give the very same things to all people. Now think about this. Think about the implications of this for the gospel, right? What is the shape of your gospel? If God is simply the authoritative, law-giving policeman, then salvation is primarily about what? Forgiveness, right? You need to be forgiven. You need to have the the slate wiped clean so that you can avoid punishment. If God's the policeman, that's the gospel. But since God is not the divine policeman, no offense to policemen who are here, but a loving father, forgiveness is actually a means to a greater end. Reconciliation and adoption as sons. That's what the gospel's about. It's not getting your sins forgiven so you don't get punished. That's part of it, but the gospel's way bigger than that. It's that you're brought back into the family as a beloved son. That's what Christ's prayer is all about, right? He came to give life, that he, they, we would know him. He came to give love. John 17, 23, to open up the pathway so that we could be loved even as the Father loves the Son. That's the gospel. The Son came and died so that the love of the Father might be poured out on you for all eternity. And if that's the gospel, then what does our Christian life look like? Again, if God is simply a policeman, once Christ dies and our sins are forgiven, what do we do with our lives? We just wait around. We wait around until Jesus comes back, right? Make life as comfortable as possible. My sins are forgiven, and that's what I'm just waiting for that day that I get to go to heaven. But God is not the policeman. And Christ was not only interested in forgiving our sins, but providing a way for us to be adopted as sons. So what do we do with our lives? We get involved in the family business. The son delighted to do the works of his father. And we, as sons, now delight to do the works of our father as well. It's not only for the joy set before him he endured these things, but now for the joy set before us, We'll endure the very same things for the sake of God bringing back more children into his family. 
We get to be part of the joy of the Son in accomplishing the mission of the Father. That's what chapter 20, verse 21 is all about. As the Father sent me, so I send you. How did the Son feel about his mission? It's like, you want me to save who? Like, those people? Have you seen those people? They don't want your love. Like, they're rebels. They don't deserve your love. Is that how Christ thought about his mission? No. For the joy set before him. He didn't want to hoard his father's love. He wanted to share it. And he didn't go reluctantly. He went willingly and joyfully to share the love of the father. So how about us? Do we go reluctantly or with joy to share the love of the Father with a world that desperately needs it? Are we hoarding the love of our Father or are we sharing the love of our Father? That's what he sent us to do, to share his life, his light, his love. In other words, in the same way that he sent his Son, the Son now sends us into the world to pour out life and light and love to unworthy recipients. And where does he send us to do that? Everywhere, right? Everywhere, especially to his estranged children. John 10, 16, Jesus, thinking about his ministry, he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold, and they must hear my voice, and they will follow me. That's the ministry that we're involved in right now. We get to go around to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel to the sheep that are not of his fold and they will hear his voice and they will come to him. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Get out there. Share the love of the Father and you will see him bring his children home. Now, get this, that, those verses, those aren't verses for the full-time missionaries. Those aren't verses for the evangelists. Those are verses for the children of the Father. Amen. All the children of the Father get to share his love with the world. Amen. And it should be our delight to do that. Reeves says this, God is already on mission. In love, the Father has sent his Son and his Spirit it is the outworking of his very nature. That means that when we go out and share the knowledge of God's great love, we reflect something very profound about who God is. For when Jesus sends us, he is allowing us to share the missional, generous, outgoing shape of God's own life. Jesus was willing to go to the places of rejection and suffering, and that, that is where the Father sent him that he might bring sinners back as children. The Christian life is one of being where he is, of joining in how he has been sent. And the motivation? Well, why did the Father send the Son? Because the Father so enjoyed loving the Son that he wanted his love to be in others. And why did the Son go? Because he says, I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So the Father sent the Son because of how he so loved him and wanted that love to be shared and enjoyed. 
And the son went because he so loved his father and wanted that love to be shared and enjoyed. The mission comes from the overflow of love, from the uncontainable enjoyment of the fellowship. So it is with the father and the son, so it is with us. It is our delight in them that fuels us to want to make them known. Our increasing love for the Father and the Son, it turns us to share their outgoing love for the world. We become like what we worship. We get to be imitators of God, pouring out life and love to a world that needs it. Oh, but, but I'm an introvert, some might say. I might say that. I'm an, I consider myself an introvert. But what's so convicting about this is like, well, your God is not an introvert. Amen. And if you have been so transformed by his love, it should make you want to be like him. Amen. You can say, well, my faith is personal. I, I prefer to keep it private. There is nothing private about the Father's love for the world. It's not meant to be private. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be poured out to the ends of the earth. Look at John chapter 12. You might think, well, but yeah, but if I go do that, I mean, people might not like me. They might not like what I have to say. What did Jesus say in John chapter 12, verse 27? Says, now is my soul troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So, what's going on in this prayer? Jesus is anticipating the pain in rejection of the cross. And he says, what, what should I say? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? Should I say, Father, help me to not go to the cross? Help me to avoid pain and suffering? Should I avoid giving my life for others? And Jesus says, no. That's the very reason that I came. To pour out the love of the Father to the rest of the world. And how do I do that? I do that by going to the cross. So I could never say, Father, save me from this hour because it's completely inconsistent with my whole mission. And so, Father, what do I pray instead? Glorify your name. Amen. And he's our pattern. I think some of us might have this idea. Father, save me from this embarrassing conversation. Father, save me from the awkwardness around the Thanksgiving table. Father, save me from the potential rejection, pain, and even death that might come if I try to share your love with others. Is that our prayer? Or can we say like Christ, no. It is for this very purpose that I'm here. Just like the Son, pick me, send me, use me. I want to take your love to the ends of the earth. 
No, this is the very reason I came, is so that I could have embarrassing moments and awkward conversations and suffer rejection and shame and maybe even death. Why? Because I want people to know the love of Christ. That's why we're here. And for the joy set before us, we do these things. Not out of obligation, not out of pure obedience, but out of joy, we do these things. And so as you look to your pattern in the mission, for the jo- because of the joy of the Son, join him in what he's doing in the world. Now, if you're like me, you hear a message like this, and you probably feel completely inadequate. I mean, how am I going to do this? How can I be used by God to share his love with the world? Now, if you feel that way, that's a good thing. Because you are actually inadequate in and of yourselves, right? Paul himself even says, who is adequate for these things? Who's adequate to share the love of the Father with the world? No one. So go back to John 20. Verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now that's intimidating, that's scary, that's overwhelming. But look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The last person of the Trinity, who we haven't talked about yet, he is the power of the mission. I mean, notice the connection, right? Jesus just went to the cross. He's appearing to his disciples for the first time. He's sending them on mission. And what does he want them to know? You have the Spirit. Amen. And you need the Spirit, right? And the Spirit actually is a token of God's love towards you. Again, think about Christ's baptism. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. What's also happening at the baptism of Christ? The Spirit is coming on him as a sign of God's pleasure in his Son and to equip him for the ministry that he's about to do. In the same way, Christ says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, even to the point where I'm now giving you the same Spirit that empowered me in my life, in my ministry, and I'm giving him to you to empower you for your life and your ministry. And we need the Spirit for several reasons, but two I want to highlight. First is that this is the Spirit of adoption. And one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is to remind us that we are actually God's beloved children. Right? The Spirit stirs up our family affections. It reminds us who our God is, that He is our loving Father, and that He loves us as much as He loves His Son. That's what the Spirit does. He encourages us. He reminds us who we are. But then, of course, in connection with the mission, He is the empowerment for all the things that we cannot do. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He testifies about Christ, even to the point where Christ says, don't worry about the words. The Spirit's going to give you the words when you need them. He changes the hearts of sinners. He causes people to be born again. And when are you going to see that power, right? When did Christ give the Spirit? When he was sending his disciples on mission. If you want to experience the Spirit-filled life, where do you got to go? you got to go on mission. 
Some of you might not be experiencing the Spirit's ministry in your life. And one of the reasons could be you're not on mission. He came to assist you and to empower you to share the gospel with the world. So if you're not doing that, then he has no ministry to do in your life in that sense. But you have the Spirit. You have all the power you need to go the same way that the Father sent the Son, that you can go in the same way. And so we see a study on the Trinity turns out to be a lot more practical than maybe we thought at first. Without the Trinity, there is no God who is love. Without the Trinity, there is no salvation. There's no Son to send. There's no Spirit to give life. And without the Trinity, there is no mission. And yet we have a Father, a Son, and a Spirit who they've been involved in pouring out love to a sinful world. And we get to join them in that ministry. And I want to give you particularly some encouragement during the holiday season that you bring life and light and love to everywhere that you go. You're going to go to the grocery store. Don't just go to get. Go also to give to the people that you see, to the person who scans your groceries. You're going as one sent by the Father and the Son in the power of the Spirit to pour out life and love to those that you see. When your kids are home from school and you have a few days off work, take advantage of those opportunities. Ask, their, ask your kids, how are they doing? Where are they at with the Lord? Do they know their loving Father? Have they trusted in the Son for the forgiveness of their sins? When you sit around the dinner table with family and friends that maybe you haven't seen in months or years, use it as an opportunity to pour out the love of the Father. Invite people to your home. Bring them in. Some people have never experienced a home that's full of light and life and love. So bring people into your home. Invite people to Christmas and Hercules. They'll have opportunities to hear the gospel. Invite people to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. Again, people that may never step inside of a church any other day. It's going to be hard because Sunday is Christmas Day. But trust the Lord that as you go out and you want people to know the love of the Father, that they'll respond. The Spirit will work in them to even bring them to a church service on Christmas Day. New Year's Day, also another holiday. Take advantage of these things to invite people to church and take advantage of these opportunities that you have to share the gospel with others. Again, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for all of you. I'm thankful that, you know, in so many different ways, many, so many of you have really been a ministry to me in particular and to, I know, our family as well. And so we just rejoice. We're thankful for you. Enjoy the holidays. Uh, I actually have a gift for you. So I have uh, three copies, so I can't give this to every person, but I have three copies of Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. It's going to be a really good book for your soul. If you promise to read it, I'll give it to you. First come, first serve. Don't be one of, I know there's people like me, we just get books and then we put them on our shelf and we never read them. But if you promise you're going to read the book, like in a short period of time, I will give you the book. But... Uh, we're just thankful to be with you, thankful for this holiday season, thankful for, you know, particular Thanksgiving. It's just being thankful, right? No strings attached, no gifts, uh, except for this book. Uh, but let me pray for us and pray that God would use us during the holidays. Father, what a delight it is to be your children. 
to be recipients of your love. Especially considering we didn't deserve it. We didn't want it. And it would have been perfectly just for you to send us to the eternal punishment that we deserve as a result. But it's your very nature to love and to sacrifice and to send and to pour out. And so you did just that. You sent your son. And he took the punishment that we deserved so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters and enjoy your great love for us. And Lord, we'll get to enjoy that for eternity. And really, when you think about all of creation, and especially just any of our individual lives, it's so short in comparison to eternity. Eternity is marked in the past by you pouring out love on your Son, and it will be marked in the future by you pouring out love on your Son and on us. Lord, may we live this life, as short as it is, in light of that reality. Lord, may we go with joy, proclaiming that there is a way for sinners to enjoy the love of God. There's a way for their sins to be forgiven and to be, for them to be adopted as sons and daughters. Lord, for the joy set before us, may we endure whatever you have for us if it means people coming to know the love that we know from you. Lord, we're on the holiday season. What shall we say? Save us from embarrassing conversations? No, that's why we're here. Whether it's embarrassing conversations or even volatile conversations, just give us opportunities to proclaim the love of Christ. And fill us with your spirit as you do. Lord, this isn't dependent on us. Your spirit is the one who's going to empower us. Your spirit is the one who's going to change the hearts of our friends and family members that don't know you. That's going to open their eyes to see that they've been rejecting the perfect, holy love of the Father. That's going to cause them to put their trust in Christ. That's going to change their hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Lord, we have your Spirit. We have all the resources available to us that Jesus Christ had when he was on the earth. May we take full advantage of them and may we see fruit. Lord, give us boldness, give us joy. Help us to share your word with those who need it. And may your church grow as a result. May more people come to know and appreciate the love that you've shown them. So Lord, we're thankful. We count it a privilege to be a part of your body, even in this body as well, at Valley Bible Church. We're thankful for all your faithfulness over these past 51 years. And we pray for an even more fruitful 51 ahead. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.